This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is Brewers on Tap. a special edition of Brewers on Tap today. We will take a look at a few of the things going on from GM meetings and 40-man roster type of topics for the Milwaukee Brewers. But the main reason we're here today is you will hear from Craig Council and David Stearns last week during Inside the Brewers. But first, just a few topics to get into. The Brewers trying to clear some space on that 40-man roster. And so earlier this week, right-handed relievers Jonathan Barrios, Ben Rowan, and catcher Josemiel Pinto became free agents after they cleared waivers and were outrighted to AAA Colorado Springs. The very next day, good news for the Brewers is Jonathan Barrios agreed to come back on a minor league deal with an invite to Major League Spring Training Camp for the Brewers Barrios with a, a very good arm. He had made good progress in 2015. The future looked bright and then, of course, suffered that injury. Uh, but he will be back and be with the Brewers in 2017. Okay, just about a week ago, we all got together at Miller Park. And Craig Council and David Stearns, along with COO Rick Schlesinger, all answered your questions in a town hall format at Miller Park. And we felt it appropriate to bring to you an audio version so you could see what you missed if you weren't there. It's great to see all of you again. I'm Brian Anderson, TV voice of the Brewers. And well, we're excited you're here. We're excited we get a chance to do this. Uh, it's a town hall meeting, so we want you... Uh, to get interactive with us here today. And so uh, we did this last year. It went really well. We have uh, a couple of guys who like to talk about the team and talk about what's going on inside this organization. So uh, we're excited about that. We also wanted to kind of set this up so you get that feel inside Miller Park of what a World Series might feel like, right? This would be it, right? Can you close your eyes and imagine what this would feel like inside Miller Park uh, for a World Series? And what a thrilling World Series uh, that was uh, that culminated last night. A um, couple of business things before we get going here. Um, we're going to spend about an hour. We're going to dive into whatever you guys want to get into. We have open mics up there. Let me introduce you to our folks upstairs uh, from Brewers Radio. Jeff Levering is here. He's waving. He's looking handsome in the suit. Hi, Jeff. And so we want to we start filing up towards Jeff there on that side get a line of about seven to ten people because we want the questions to keep flowing. And if you're on this side, we have Sophia Minard, our great reporter, Emmy-winning reporter from Fox Sports Wisconsin. Hi, Sophia. And then next to Sophia is Lane Grendel from Brewers Radio, and he's kind of handling the social media side of things. So those are your go-to people. Um, and you, I know it's hard to be the first one, but if you want to 
ask a question, start moving your way up there because uh, we want to keep this flow going. It is a town hall meeting. So um, you can also tweet your questions today. You can use the hashtag inside the brewers, all right? So if you want to tweet from your seats, uh, use the hashtag inside the brewers. And for all of you watching, by the way, we are on brewers.com right now. We're streaming live, so everything you say can and will be held against you today, fans. Uh, welcome to my world. So uh, we're streaming live on brewers.com. We welcome all of you and uh, glad you're out there with us. And we're also going to take all of this, what we do today and talk about today, cut it into a nice little tidy show. I don't know if it's 30 minutes or an hour, but it depends on how entertaining these guys are. But we're going to air that on Fox Sports Wisconsin in the coming weeks. So if you want a little TV time, make sure you head up there. We're already getting a good line up there, so that's great. Um, also, check under the cup holder on the right side for a raffle ticket, okay, at some point. If you find one, you've either won an opportunity to go down Bernie's slide or a chance for five kids to participate in a mini sausage race during a 2017 home game. So check on the right side cup holder if you have a raffle ticket there. And to redeem that prize, um, you can meet Nicole. She's at the top of 123, and Nicole's up there. You, there she is. Hi, Nicole. It's a wave. There she is in the orange. Is that orange? I think that's orange. So anyway, if you win that prize, go see her. She'll take care of you. All right. Before we get into our uh, main attractions, uh, Craig Council and David Stearns, we want to introduce the Chief Operating Officer, Rick Schlesinger, to talk a little business. There's some exciting things going on. So welcome, Rick, the man who pays for all of this stuff. Try to see it my way. Oh, Do I have to keep it's a walk-up music for the boss. While you see it your way, run the risk of knowing you, that our love may Welcome. Welcome to the stage that you paid for. <laughs> Are those Cub socks or just uh, don't bring up that? Okay. Sorry. It's good for go, baseball. Go Tribe. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I, I, before we get into this a little bit, can you imagine what a World Series would be like in Milwaukee? I feel it'd be very similar to Cleveland and what they experienced. Wouldn't that be well, something? It'd be great. We'd have... Uh, incredible energy we we should have had it in 2011 but that's another story but uh yeah i mean it was it was electric it was such a great night for baseball uh you know the ratings through the roof the 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 entire country focused on two franchises that haven't won in years and it, it's you know what even though the cubs won uh, it was it showcased baseball and all it can be and from that perspective i'm very pleased rick's a great baseball fan. He's a great businessman, but he's a great baseball fan. We always love talking baseball and diving into the strategy. And uh, I know uh, we're going to have some fun with Craig and with David a little bit later. But there are some, some business happenings here at Miller Park and some really exciting news. And for those of you who didn't see the press conference and aren't aware of uh, some of the things that Rick's going to unveil, let's give you another chance to kind of talk through that and what's going to be happening here at Miller Park over these next few months. Well, for all of you that walked through a construction zone and, and maybe didn't know, we're, we're renovating the entire food and beverage experience at Miller Park from the field level to loge level to club level to terrace level. Every concession stand, every area of the ballpark is going to be transformed. It's a multi-million dollar project completely paid for by the Milwaukee Brewers. No taxpayer dollars involved. Um, we'll, we'll get a cheer for that. Uh, 
not only is the, the stands and all the equipment going to be new, the, the variety of the food is going to be incredible. The quality, the experience is going to be really an amazing one. People who love food like they do in Milwaukee and want to experience great items. We'll have our traditional hot dogs, sausages, pizzas. We'll have tacos. We'll have mac and cheese. We'll have some specialty items that can only be bought here at Miller Park. Uh, we're going to have a lot more points of sale, meaning we're going to have a lot faster lines so people don't have to wait in line and can watch the game and still get their food. And I think people will cheer for that. I think people are going to be really amazed at, at the comprehensive nature and how awesome the experience is going to be. And it's something that we're going to race to get done. It will get done by April 3 of 2017. Well, if this was a talk show, I would say, did you bring a clip? I did. And, and you did bring a clip. I did. And we have this beautiful one. television up here. Now... This is a, a really cool video that our friends from CI Design put together about all of what's happening here. And uh, let's roll that. You can take a look for yourself at what Rick was talking about. I think Milwaukee is an incredible livable city, incredibly friendly, passionate people who care about their community. It's a city of fantastic character and depth. It's a city of people who like to have a good time. It's not just they care about their sports teams. They care about their neighbors. They care about their neighborhoods care about their city. It's one of those cities that's sort of dripping with identity, you know? It has a soul, it has something about it that is, you know, truly singular. And, and what we tried to do was sort of see if we could come to understand that and then see if we could get that understanding to live in what we've done. Sports venues are recognizing that food and beverage is so critical to how people view their enterprise and view their brand. And Miller Park is not just a place to watch baseball games, it's a place for entertainment. It's a place to be, it's a destination. We have invested millions of dollars into Miller Park from scoreboards to all-inclusive areas to new attractions for our fans. Uh, we, we would be remiss if we ignored the food and beverage experience. What we're trying to do is we understand that food has much greater impact on people than simply a transaction. Food's a way to get closer to your fans. Food's a way to say something about the brewers. Uh, food's a way to celebrate Milwaukee and Wisconsin. We started this in August of 2015, basically trying to see if we could capture, you know, the feeling of, of this place and this place in baseball and seeing if we could translate those words into what, what that might mean if you expressed it with food. Fans that have been to Miller Park for the last 16 years are going to have a completely transformational experience here. They're going to see complete new offerings. They're really going to be able to experience a elevated food and beverage opportunity that they have not had at a sports venue. We're going to have a lot of locally sourced, a lot of local products. So AJ Bombers, great hamburgers, Smoke Shack, great sandwiches, Sefiro's, great pizza, Miller Coors, all the great beer and craft beer offerings, Clement sausages, a lot of local companies making local products that our fans love and that resonate with our culture here in Milwaukee. We've had a lot of success serving AJ Bomber style burgers inside the stadium. So we've embellished that a bit. And we're making bigger and better burgers and making them far more widely available. Same applies to the barbecue from Smoke Shack. Everything that we've designed in this new project is de designed to do a single thing. And that single thing is to express a feeling of care and concern for our fans. So whether you're watching the game from home plate or watching it in the loge, you'll be able to get the same quality product throughout the entire stadium. You know, it starts and ends with the fans. They're the reason we're here. And from our perspective, you know, transforming the food and beverage experience is just another way for us to cherish our fans and show our fans that we respect them, 
We think about them, we listen to them, and we care about them. Miller Park is a jewel. We have an obligation as trustees of the ballpark to constantly improve it. The food and beverage renovation is just one aspect of making Miller Park a great destination for fans. And we're always striving to make it state-of-the-art and the destination for sports fans around the world. Well, how about a nice hand? You know, I say, I say this a lot. I've been involved with a lot of different organizations, a lot of different leagues and different sports, but um, I'm most proud of this one because of, of that kind of vision. You know, we focus on the play on the field and all the things that we get by watching games, but the, the fan experience and the vision that you had, this is not something you just thought of a couple of <laughs> weeks ago. It's, I mean, how long did this take to put into play? Well, you know, Bob Quinn, our CFO, and I have been talking about this for, for several years. And we have been doing a lot of field research. We've been looking at what other venues have been doing, not just baseball teams, not just sports teams in North America, but internationally, what's going on with the food and beverage experience and how that means things to different people. And we have uh, invested a lot of time, sweat equity, uh, a lot of consultants and experts in their various hospitality fields. And uh, this is really a multi-year project, and we decided to do it all at once, do every level, get it all done in one off-season, which has caused uh, a lot of overtime. But uh, again, uh, we wanted to get it done, and this was the year to do it. It's so amazing watching this ballpark evolve from the time you took over to, to what it is now, and it just keeps growing and growing, and it's better and better. And uh, great job, Rick. I'm looking forward to seeing all that uh, come to an end. Before we let you get out of here, I have a couple things to ask you. Uh, there's some announcements you're going to be making in the next few weeks. Can you kind of tell us some of the bullets that, um, bullet points that you want to hit on in the next few weeks here? Yeah, the, the most interesting and the ones that fans care most about is our promotional schedule. We, we obviously have a, a great lineup of all fan giveaways coming in 2017. And uh, a little sneak peek is uh, one of those will be a special Bob Euchre-related item. I know the alarm clock was a huge hit. Um, I still get asked about it. Um, we don't have any more left. Um, I'm sorry, but probably eBay does. But uh, there'll be a Euchre item. Obviously, we'll be featuring some of our players. There'll also be some promotional items geared specifically to kids, and we'll have some special things for Mother's Day and Father's Day. So, again, it's, it's all part of a great experience. We want people to enjoy the ballpark, have a great food and beverage experience but also have a keepsakes when they come to the ballpark as well. Very nice. Bob Euchre's watching back home in Arizona on Brewers.com. Let's all say hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. Hi. <laughs> all right, Rick, thanks a lot for everything. Uh, we appreciate that info. Good job. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing how all this ends up. Thanks, Brian. All right. That's Rick Schlesinger, folks. Very good. Now like a knife. A uh, couple things um, as Rick exits, and before we bring on David and, and Craig, I want to let you know, so there is a, an offer. Uh, they're offering a special welcome to all Brewer season seat holders, suite holders, and corporate sponsors. So if you are a Brewer season seat holder, make sure you stop by the season seat holder headquarters that's located behind Section 130. All right, that's over there in the left field corner. Make sure you say hello to your account executive. Our uh, sales and service team members will be available in the concourse after the program to provide information on next season's Brewers ticket packages. They can tell you all about the perks of being a Brewers season seat holder. Um, and that includes enrollment in the season seat holder rewards program. It also gives you access to a number of exclusive experiences and benefits and 25% off 
concessions and merchandise uh, during the 25 select games. So that's a little bit of business for all of you. All right, let's get to our main attraction now. Let's bring up, now entering his second season as Brewers general manager, David Stearns. Come on up, David. David, here you go, sir. Great to Thanks, B.A. Good to see you as well. Thanks for coming back to do this. We didn't My scare pleasure. you away last year, huh? No, it was great. All Happy right. to be back. Pull up a chair. Um, before we bring on Craig Council, I do want to ask you about the World Series. I, I talked to Rick. It, obviously great for the business of baseball, but, you know, from your perspective as GM, what did you sense watching that World Series last night? Uh, really, through the entire playoffs, I thought we had an extraordinarily memorable group of games starting from the opening wild card games through the seventh game of the World Series. And as someone who cares about the game, someone who grew up a tremendous fan of the game, um, incredibly enjoyable to watch. Uh, you know, I, you forge relationships with a lot of the people in the other front offices in the game. And so uh, to talk to them throughout the playoffs, to, to experience vicariously the emotions they're going through, um, certainly whets all of our appetites to, to experience that here, um, to have that level of excitement here, uh, to have that level of enthusiasm and passion, and we certainly have it in the city, and I'm looking forward to, to seeing October baseball here in Milwaukee. You're very polished right now, but I was imagining watching Theo Epstein last night, you walking around in a backwards baseball cap, kind of stumbling around half boozed up at about 1 in the morning. That's a good image for me to, that, that's, to think That's about. a good look. <laughs> You, you in Game 7 of the World Series, I think you deserve, you deserve to be a little boost yeah. up and stumbling around with a backwards baseball cap. So I'm looking forward to, uh, to being able to do that. Time to, time to relax at that point for sure. Time to party. All right, let's bring up the Brewers manager. And he'll be starting his second full season, third season. You know him, you love him. Milwaukee's favorite son, Craig Council. Come on up, Craig. Good evening, everybody. How are you, sir? I'm great. We didn't scare you off either. Thanks for coming back. No, good times. I've been sent to the podium now, so this is going to become your deal with these two. So that's why uh, we're stepping off to the side here. But um, before we go, how about your thoughts about the World Series? Now, are you watching that World Series and postseason as a manager, how you would do things, or are you watching as a fan? I think I watched, uh, you know, I, I took special interest in the National League, you know, part of the playoffs, I think, playing against those teams and mm -hmm. seeing those teams and, and seeing those managers. So I think there's part of it. You look at the managers, um, you know, one of the great things for this playoffs, two things were great for me. One, um, I think game seven just rekindles feelings that you want, it, want to keep close to you and sometimes you have a hard time grabbing onto, but... When they get back into Game Seven last night, you know a lot of those feelings get really close again. Which are those? Those are the feelings you want to try to feel all the time. So that was really cool. And then the other thing that was great for me, which is what baseball does, is I got to teach my eight-year-old daughter about baseball. She took a real <laughs> interest in the playoffs, and um, so watching her learn about the game as the month went on mm -hmm. was really cool for me. Did you pull out any old any old tapes? 
here's your dad. Speaking of game sevens. Uh, yeah, I, I, you have to, because otherwise that's the only way you have any status in the house. It's nice. You're one of the few on the face of the earth that uh, has experienced the game seven in a very intimate way, like Craig Council did twice. Um, it's a really cool thing that you have that experience and that you're here with us. All right, so at this point, let's, we got to turn it over to you guys now. It looks like we got a pretty good crowd up there and we can, can kind of get this started. I will launch one more question uh, before we go because we're just starting this thing out, right? So it's a year later, we've just arrived to this place. Last year, David, you were just getting on the job. Craig, you were just finishing what was a whirlwind as a manager, but State of the Union right now, we'll start with you, David. State of the Union with the organization where we sit right now uh, on this date here in November, uh, leading up to what would be your second season. Well, I think when you, you look back and we all sat here a year ago and we talked about what we were looking to accomplish as an organization, those goals were, were long-term and they still remain long-term. Uh, we talked about making incremental progress. We talked about developing uh, a group of young players who could allow us to consistently compete here in Milwaukee uh, in the toughest division in baseball against a number of teams that look like they're going to be consistent World Series type uh, contenders. Um, and I think we've made steps in that direction. And so certainly I'm pleased that we've been able to, to make those steps. We have seen players develop here on the major league level. We have seen players develop throughout our system. We've been able to acquire more young players um, throughout our system who one day will contribute to playoff caliber baseball here in Milwaukee. So that's been encouraging to me. Uh, anytime we finish a year with 73 wins, I'm not going to be happy. Craig's not going to be happy. As an organization, we strive for better to that, for better than that. Um, but I certainly believe that the progress we have made over the past 12 months uh, will allow us to get to that goal, um, and I'm looking forward to getting there. All right, very good. Craig, from the manager's seat, your perspective. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I have a hard time looking back. I think, you know, the past kind of shapes us and, and makes us who we are, but you know, really, when the season ends, you start looking forward, and I start looking to, like, what's next? What challenge is next? How are we going to tackle that challenge? How are we going to get better here? Um, so, you know, it's really, to me, my, my, my head is, all, is on the next step, the next step. What's the next step? And, and, and the kind of the, the, the tools we use to get to that next step. So um, I think I, I remember talking to the coaches in January, and, and, and part of the big thing was that, the foundation is really important and how we build a foundation. You know, when they build a skyscraper, that, that hole in the ground stays there for a long time and they do a lot of work and then the skyscraper goes up fast. So building that foundation and building it right is, is still kind of the focus of my attention. Very good. All right, again, if you want to tweet from your seat or if you're at home and you want to get involved on social media, make sure you use the hashtag inside the brewers. All right, so we'll take those tweets as well. Let's go up to uh, Sophia. I believe she's up there. Got our first victim. Who do we have up there, Sophia? <laughs> How about a like, brave contestant? I don't know if victim's <laughs> the way we want to start, but I do have Bill from New Berlin here. He has a question for David on that top-ranked minor league system and that foundation that Craig is talking about. Okay, David and Craig, I, for, for, first I want to say is congratulations for making the season interesting. The players played hard and they were a lot of fun to watch this last year. Very Thank good. you. The question I have is, I know you already made a handful of roster moves because you got to make spaces 
for guys to protect that you were showing earlier, uh, all these guys you got in the trades. How many spots do you have to make to protect guys so we don't lose anybody in the uh, Rule 5 draft this year? That's a really good question. It's something we, uh, we actually were debating and discussing today. We'll continue to do so um, for the next month or so. Um, for those of you who, who aren't aware, the Rule 5 draft allows other teams um, to take some of your, your minor league players if you don't put them on the major league roster. And so we have to be very careful that we're protecting the proper players and putting them on the major league roster uh, to keep them in the Brewers organization. Um, we have some space now, as you mentioned. Um, we'll need to create some more. Uh, we're in the process of, of discussing those moves, but you're right. This is, this is an um, important part of, of what we're going to need to do really on an annual basis going forward. We're going to need to make sure that we're creating and managing our roster appropriately, uh, creating the space we need and adding the right players because ultimately our, our process will only work and our pipeline of talent will only work if we keep them in the organization and get them to Milwaukee. Very good. Good question. Way to start it, folks. Nice going. How about you, Jeff? What do you have up there? Oh, B.A., we've got uh, Ed from Pewaukee joining us, and, and he was here last year at the town hall event and asked a question about Chris Davis. He was really excited about KD and what he had done last year and obviously had a good season with Oakland this year, but he had a follow-up question to your question from last year as well. Well, first of all, I enjoyed the season very much. Uh, Craig, I'd say if you had been the manager for maybe the last five years, have been to the playoffs a few more times, I really like what you're doing. As far as Chris Davis goes, I was here last year. I said, I, I asked, please, let's not get rid of this guy. He's 28. We don't lose him to free agency till 2020. Um, 40 home run guy, 100 RBIs in Oakland, which might mean 50 home runs here. Put him with Chris Carter and, and a bunch of the other guys we got coming up, and I, I'm still kind of reeling about that trade. Uh, I know we had a surplus of outfielders. We got a catcher for him. Um, I know his arm wasn't great and all those things, but I'm still kind of uh, I'd like to hear a little bit more to feel better about that trade, if you don't mind. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm happy to help. And, uh, you know, Chris Davis, obviously, he played very well when he was a brewer. He had a tremendous year in Oakland. And, and um, part of our, our process is making these, these difficult decisions about trading players who we know are good major league players. Um, but maybe they're coming from an area of depth like Chris was. Maybe we think we can go out and get a minor league player like a Jacob Nottingham and a Bubba Derby, two prospects that we got for Chris Davis. So sometimes these trades don't feel great. Sometimes they hurt a little bit. And, and, and frankly, sometimes players outperform um, what we originally expected of them. But it, it's part of what we are going to need to consistently do to compete here is turn players into young players who can be here for a long time. Um, we're certainly pleased with the outfield production we got throughout the majority of the year. Um, and we're pleased with the prospects we got back. And ultimately, if those prospects get here and, and help to contribute to a, uh, a playoff caliber team, we'll be pleased with the overall output of that trade. You're going to make a great dad someday. <laughs> Craig, you're good about that. making sad people feel happy. What, what would you say to that? It's okay. Very nice. Moving on. <laughs> Sophia. All right, well, we do have a question for Craig here. I'm joined now, Bob from Milwaukee. He wants to ask Craig about just preparing for games and batting practice in particular. Uh, yes, uh, my wife and I have been Brewer fans for 44, 45 years or so. We come to Miller Ballpark at least an hour before the game starts 
and we have never seen the Brewers take batting practice. Uh, I don't come to see St. Louis or Philadelphia. I don't know who those guys are. Is there ever a chance that at least once a homestand, the Brewers could bat, take batting practice second? That's, that's, uh, it, it, that's an interesting question because it's, it's certainly it's a topic that we, we've discussed it in the clubhouse. And, you know, I, my, the best answer I can give you, and this is a really bad answer, too, so I'm going to apologize for this, but this is the way it's always been in baseball, is that it's kind of a, the courtesy that the, you, it's almost a courtesy. You let the visiting team hit second closer to game time. Um, it's a courtesy almost. So um, it's always been that way. It's that way in every single major league park. Um, it's been that way ever since I can remember, and I think it's been that way since mm -hmm. the start of baseball. So um, I, I understand that. There will be occasionally a, a rare day when the, the visiting team might not hit, and our batting practice will be um, backed up a little bit into their spot. But, um, you know, otherwise, be, with the new food and beverage experience, you can get here early. <laughs> How about that, Rick? You like that, Rick? Nice. Huh? Segway, man. Yeah. Wow. So much more than a baseball manager. He just does a long way to say no. No, it's not changing. Yeah, it's... <laughs> Sorry. I think at home, we'd, you know, we'd, we'd all be in favor of it showing up a little later once in a while. I'm sure the players would love to uh, maybe take infield before the games, like, like in the old days. You could see them at that's least take infield. That's, a, that's, a, that's why we have some hope, because we have changed that tradition. Yes. yes. No more infield. Cross the way, Jeff. All right, thanks, B.A. We've got uh, Dennis from Milwaukee, and uh, we were just talking a couple of minutes ago. One of your favorite plays in baseball is the triple. So he wanted to ask kind of a ground rules question for you guys and maybe a little reconfiguration about Miller Park. Okay, thank you, Jeff. Uh, as Jeff mentioned, one of the most exciting plays in baseball is the triple. One of the least exciting plays is the ground rule double. You have the guy on first base rounding third, but he has to go back to third because of the ground rule double. It seems that we have a lot of ground rule doubles at Miller Park. So I was wondering what your reaction would be to increasing the height of the center field wall, probably by eight to 10 feet. You couldn't increase the height of the right field wall because of seating. You could probably increase it a little bit in left field. But to me, with the Brewers' team speed, um, doing this would definitely create more triples and probably be more of an advantage to the Brewers than the opposition. I think that's an interesting question. I think, I think there's two. I look at it, there, I would look at it one different way, and I would say that one of the coolest things that I think can happen in a Major League Baseball game is a defender robbing a home run. And one of the great things about Miller Park is that when, when the fences are this height, defenders can rob home runs. Um, I think we, we saw Carlos Gomez three or four years ago rob seven home runs. We saw Kian Broxton basically win a game today, robbing a home run. So that's, that's the trade-off when you go to higher fences um, that they would produce. I also think just the dimensions of Miller Park. A lot of times triples are created because the balls, because the gaps are really big and they're, you know, the outfielders have a long throw. And Miller Park's dimensions just probably don't allow the best place for triples in Miller Park is in the right field corner down there for sure because it's one of the farthest places away. So I think the dimensions of Miller Park are always going to make triples pretty difficult. I do not like 
the ground rule double and, and losing runs like that. It's, it's frustrating, certainly, for everybody. It has come up, though. That's a great question. You know, when the, the design of this ballpark, Robin Yao was involved in the outfield configuration, and that's one of the reasons why you see the angles in center field as they are, because he thought that'd be one area where you could create some triple opportunities. So we're with you. I mean, the triple is a great, a great moment, great play, always fun to call. And so, yeah, those are, those are certainly things that uh, they think about when they design ballparks. So good question right there. Again, don't forget, if you want to tweet us or if you want to get uh, to us here on social media, uh, use the hashtag inside the Brewers, and then we'll be able to read that. And Lane Grindle's up there can offer some, uh, some Twitter questions as well. Let's bounce it back across to Sophia, though. I've got a good line going up there. Yeah, thanks, B.A. And uh, we've got a question for David on his first transaction as man general manager, Junior Guerra, 31-year-old rookie, a terrific season. We had a lot of fun watching him this year. And Gregory from Racine wants to know a little bit more about Guerra. David, we all know that Brian Braun is expendable because he's over 30. Well, where, where, does, it, where, does, it, where does that leave Junior Guerra? He's over 30. <laughs> David's over 32. I, I, am I expendable? <laughs> we're, we're all in trouble Sorry, up here, PA. We're all expendable. Wow. <laughs> you know, I, I think as we go through this, um, certainly age is a factor, and, and we, we want to um, create a young team, but we know we need veterans, and, and we know we need players who are going to be able to lead um, our young core forward. Certainly Ryan Braun has, um, has shown his ability to do that over the years, and, and frankly, Junior Guerra did a wonderful job of doing that in our clubhouse this year. So with a player like Junior, sure, he's, he may be a little bit older than the average rookie, um, but he's still very early on in his major league career, and both the maturity and, and, and performance he demonstrated this year certainly gives us hope um, that he can continue to do that. Um, th those of you who have heard me talk before, you know I always say we're open-minded to anything. We have to be. Um, certainly in our situation, we have to entertain uh, any calls that come, and, and we would do so on, on Junior as well. But we firmly expect Junior to, to be a part of our, our rotation and our team going forward. Wasn't that your first move as general manager, Junior Gary? It was, yes. How long were you in office before that culminated? I, my, my guess is Tyler Barnes could tell you, but it, it, wasn't, uh, <laughs> it, it wasn't too long. I think it was within the, the first week or two of, uh, of taking the job wow. that um, Junior hit the waiver wire. We, we were fortunate enough that we decided to claim him, and uh, he's done all the work since then and has nice. done an outstanding job. Home run, first move. That's a good, good first play by the GM. Jeff? We had our first uh, allusion to Ryan Braun just a couple of minutes ago, but Jim from Madison has a question about Ryan Braun, but it might not be the question that everybody in the ballpark is thinking about. The expendable Ryan Braun, you're saying? Yeah. I'm just wondering about his position. I, it, to me, he seemed like uh, an ideal fit for first base. Was he ever approached to play first base? And if he was, what was his answer? Probably a Craig question. Yeah, no, we, we have not approached him at first base. I think, you know, I think everybody learned this year how much I love players that can play multiple positions. <laughs> and um, Tom Hodricourt learned that a couple times. Um, but I think so, you know, I, I guess I would say Ryan's a left fielder. I think Ryan had a, I think he had a really good year in left field this year. I think moving him from right field, um, you know, was a positive, and I think, he, I think he performed really well out in left field, and he'll go into camp next year as our left fielder. But I think, you know, with every player in the future, I, I think 
positional versatility is something that's so valuable. It just gives us options. It allows us to cover for injuries. Um, it, it makes you a better team. So you're always open to it, and you're always you're always certainly thinking about it. Craig doesn't just look at players as uh, as versatile pieces. He also looks at fruit and food as versatile items. For example, we were just underneath, and what what was your the most the versatile? Grape. The grape. Yeah. It's a versatile fruit. It's versatile. It's a grape. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a fruit. It's healthy for you. It's, it's wine. Very healthy for you. <laughs> and it's a raisin. It's a, see? Goes it's on your, just goes on your oatmeal. It's perfect. I got this conversation in my mind. Ryan, you're like a grape. You need to be more like a grape. Hernan Perez is our grape. Oh, he's your grape. He's yeah. our grape. Yeah. Nice. Hernan Perez is the grape. Remember the grape ape? I love grape ape. Anyway, Sophia? <laughs> well, I don't know if we're talking grapes, apples, oranges, but uh, we have Wayne Grindle here, voice of the brewers here on the radio network. We've got some social media questions from home. Yeah, questions on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And this one from Facebook. And Scott wants to know what position Jonathan VR will be playing on opening day. Oh, speaking of a grape. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> opening day. Well, I think, you know, we, we, we obviously Jonathan spent time at, at three positions this year, um, at shortstop, at third base, and, and at the end of the year at second base. And I think really that was, you know, in the end it was for us to kind of see Jonathan at those positions, um, you know, at second base at the end to see if that's a possibility. Um, the fact that he can play, you know, three, all three infield positions like I said, that's valuable, and that gives us options. It gives David options into the offseason. Um, it gives me options during the season when we're making out the lineup, depending on who's pitching or who might have a little injury. So I think we'll continue to, to look at Jonathan as a guy that can play multiple positions. Um, and it's, it's just like I can't emphasize it enough. It's a valuable thing for us going forward to have guys that play more than one position. Very good. By the way, let's all welcome Lane Grindle and give him a hand. He just finished his first year as a Brewers radio announcer. Good job, Lane. Did a great job this year. A lot of fun to be around. Came from Nebraska. Moved his family here. He's now a, a Wisconsinite. Great job, buddy. Sophia, do you want to pick up where we left off? You got a nice line assembled there. Or are we back over to Jeff? I think I'll, I'll take it and I'll okay. take one. Charlie from Oshkosh is here. He was here last year as well. He's got a question on one of our favorite topics, guys. Replay. <laughs> Hi, Craig. Hi, David. Thanks for taking my question. Um, I want to know your feelings on instant replay or if you have any say with meetings this winter. But in the beginning of the season, I thought, this is great. They'll get the play right. By the end of the season, I was very frustrated. Um, some teams get more than one challenge. Um, one time the, um, the play was over. I went to get my sandwich, came back. The Brewers are back on the field. Uh, uh, one game, I think the umpires ran off the field. Um, just your thoughts on that. I, I was very frustrated. The playoffs, there were a couple instances where, well, that's going to be returned or changed, and it wasn't. So I might need new glasses, I think. Yeah. Thank you. Replay, that's always a big topic. So, so I'll start, and, and Craig can certainly chime in from his perspective from the dugout. I think the, the objective and the intent of replay is right. We, we want the call called correctly. 
umpires are human. They can't get everything right. They're doing the best they possibly can, but the game moves really fast when you're, when you're seeing it in real time and down on the field with really good athletes playing it. And so the intent is right. Um, I think we've probably gotten away a little bit from the, the true intent, which is to correct the obvious error. And we've started nitpicking a little bit, and we've gotten into technicalities, and that's created some of the pace of play issue that I think, um, frankly, bothers bothers all of us. We we want the game to have a natural flow, um, and and really be the game that we all remember um, from a from a pace perspective. Um, and so it probably deserves uh, looking into, and it probably deserves some sort of um, amendment or change. And I know the commissioner's office is is very aware of that. Ultimately. It has to be a, a communal decision between the commissioner's office, the players, and the umpires. Um, getting three parties like that on board for any change can sometimes be challenging. <laughs> but uh, but I, I know that everyone's aware of it. Everyone shares the same concerns. And, and hopefully, as, as the, the process moves forward and, and, uh, and replay moves forward, we, we can get it right. Yeah, I think your frustration is... You know, I share your frustration. I know Brian shares your frustration <laughs> yes, um, because it's, it's hard for him on TV to tell fans what's happening sometimes because mm -hmm. he doesn't know what's happening. So there's certainly what we've, what we've found is that as replay has gone on, like, like David said, the technicalities, the rabbit holes, they almost become endless. Mm -hmm. And we're in that, we've reached that point where we, we got to fix that part of it. And I, I think we'll move towards fixing it whether it be simplifying it, um, whether it be just keeping everybody in the loop as to what's going on from broadcasters to the fans in the park and on TV, what's, what's actually happening. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, sometimes the people on the field don't know what's happening. But, you know, I th it is right. We do want to get calls right. And nobody wants to lose a game because of a really obvious missed call. So, so that is the right intention. Now we just got to go back and, and fix it a mm -hmm. little bit. Well, you were a former player rep, so realistically, how would, how would that happen? What would be the steps that that could actually be talked about, be discussed, and put into play? Yeah, I, I think it's really a more conversation just among the, the, the league and kind of club officials mm -hmm. as to, to just make it, make it better and to just tighten up, what we're, tighten up kind of what we're looking at, how we're looking at it how we're keeping everybody in the loop as to what we're looking at. And, and then there was, a, there was a play last night in game seven where, where Joe Buck said, I, I don't know what's going on here. Right. And waiting, waiting to understand what was going on. So that, that just shouldn't happen. Right. No, that's our, and you know, from a television perspective, it's our biggest concern. Imagine, you know, as you watch games, um, there are humans behind all of these cameras and there are human beings behind these tape machines. And that is a new layer of pressure that as broadcasters and people bringing sporting events to you at home, we never experienced until recently, until replay came in. So, uh, you know, we're always proud when we can get the shot. Sometimes it works against the Brewers, but we're always proud when we can get a good, clear shot on a super slow-mo camera. Um, and cameras these days are picking up things that they've never seen, that even the human eye can't see. The, the rate in which we can uh, see these images. It's never been seen before, so it makes you almost doubt what has happened all these years prior. Was that really a safe or an out call in a game that you may remember from the 70s or 80s or even earlier uh, in the 2000s? So it's definitely something we all talk about, even the broadcasting side, the managers, the general managers. So great question. I know there's some frustration with fans. 
Jeff, no offense, but Sophia's got a much longer line than you do, by the way. Just I, saying. I don't take any offense to that. <laughs> I, I really don't. And uh, where was replay night back in 1985? <laughs> I, I'm sure the Cardinals. Yeah. Good point. We don't need to talk about the Cardinals. Uh, Steven Cedarberg is here, and he's got our first trifecta question for us. Uh, player development sign, and he's got a sneak attack question for Craig Council. Okay, question number one has to do with Jacob Nottingham. Uh, I read online just recently, a couple of days ago, that there's some disappointment with him as far as being the future catcher for the Brewers. Uh, I'd like you to comment on that and where do you think he's progressing? The second question has to do with Orlando Garcia. Uh, why do you think he struggled at the plate this year? I was a little disappointed since he was rated the top prospect. And lastly, Craig, this is for you. Uh, it's safe to say you probably would have kept Kyle Hendricks in the game last night. <laughs> and lastly, one more thing. Why don't they mic one of the umpires so this wouldn't happen, just like they do in pro football? Then yeah. the crowd could know what is going on. Uh, great question. I can answer the umpire situation because that's our question always. Why don't we just have a microphone for an umpire, but that's an umpire's union situation, and uh, they're not as comfortable yet. Uh, hopefully they will be, and the trust can be, uh, can be enhanced where they can make announcements. Um, let's see. Let's start with the – let's go in reverse order here. So would you have taken Hendricks out of the game, Craig? I think that was a question. You might have a, the next Kyle Hendricks in your rotation, Zach Davies. Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh... – I, I agree. I, he Zach is um, well on his way, and uh, and a really interesting an interesting guy. I think, you know, one of the things that you see in the playoffs is that every manager decision is really dissected and and questioned and thought about. And I think it's really I think it's a great part of our game mm -hmm. because, you know, no other sport can you really do that. And then it's kind of like this or this, and that's the fans get to decide. Um, I always. My, this is going to be a little bit of a cop-out answer, but I don't have all the information that Joe Madden had making right. that decision. And that's, that's the truth. Sometimes we sit across the dugout and, and wonder what the other manager's doing, but he has all the information. I have less than half the information. So, um, you know, the managers, Joe was faced with a lot of difficult decisions last night. Um, and, you know, it's, it's hard to say that putting John Lester in the game, who was absolutely mm -hmm. outstanding all postseason was ever going to be a wrong decision or that you'd ever regret that decision right. and that's what I think more of is how, how would you regret putting John Lester in a game mm -hmm. he, he has performed incredibly all postseason so I think that's probably what Joe was thinking and it and it worked might have the top two Cy Young finishers how about you answer Craig uh, the Arcia question because you've been a rookie in the big leagues you've come up and I mean he's had incredible expectations on him what'd you see from him yeah, I think, it's, I think it's important first to understand uh, Orlando as, in, as a player kind of in totality. And, and one of his best, his best f his features is his defense. He is an incredible defensive player. And he adds, we are going to win games because of the defense he plays. And that's a big, and we did win games, I think, in September because of the defense he played. So it's a really important, we, all, we tend to look at the box score and say, hey, the player went 0 for 4, he didn't have a good game. Orlando Arcia can go 0 for 4 and have very good games and help us win games because of the outs he created on defense. So that's when you when we talk about Orlando Arcia, it's a really important place to start. I think offensively, um, we thought it was important that he come here 
to to get the process started of his of offense, get the offensive process started. And part of that for him is that we, we kind of expected that he was going to have to learn that he was going to have to make an adjustment. And I think he, by the end of the year, he understood there is going to have to be an adjustment I'm going to have to make, and he will make it because he's a really talented baseball player. Um, so I, I'm, I'm excited about how Orlando's season went. I think he got the right amount of experience. Um, he learned what he has to get better at, and he knows what he has to get better at, and he's challenged by that. And, and the best thing is that he is a player that, is, that loves having challenges put in front of him. When you put challenges in front of him, I, I think he's going to succeed with them. Very good. You want to add to that, David? Sure. I, I think you take a player who's that young, and sometimes because Orlando has been hyped for so long mm -hmm. as a prospect, we forget how young he is, and you put him on the major league field. Um, it takes an, an incredibly special <coughs> excuse me, talent just to compete at this level at that young. And he did, and like Craig said, he helped us win games. So we firmly uh, expect that he's going to continue to make adjustments, continue to improve. Uh, his offensive game, and while he does that, he's going to help us little, win a lot of games by playing shortstop. Great. How about Jacob Nottingham now, a, yep. a player you acquired in trade with the A's? So Jacob, an, another player who's very young for his level. Jacob started this year at 20 years old in AA in Biloxi, um, which is a tough hitter's league and a tough hit, hitter's park. And what we're most excited about with Jacob um, is how much he's improved receiving the ball and catching behind the plate. That was always the question with Jacob. It really wasn't the bat. It was, um, will he be able to catch at the major league level? Um, and we're very confident now that, that he will and that he's really answered that question for us. And so we consider that a success. Certainly, um, the surface line of what he did in AA last year um, wasn't what he had hoped, um, but he's still going to be 21 years old um, entering next year. Uh, that's still a young age for AA, uh, and so we still have very high hopes for him. Very good. Good question. Multiples right there. We got a lot covered in, in that one. All right, Sophia, who's next? All right, well, uh, David's been very busy through trades and the draft, just completely rebuilding the minor league system. We've got Larry from Oconomowoc here who wants to know how you go about evaluating all of that talent at the minor league level. Yeah, I guess it's mostly for Dave. Would you, you know, as we watch these players go and we get this in return and we look on the internet and get a bio of the guy that we get and we watch the minor league systems, if it's triple A or double A or single A, and we don't see a lot of winning, you know, I think if you're rebuilding this all from the foundation, these guys need to learn to win at, at every level. And when you see somebody that's supposed to be a high prospect, if it's Phillips or whatever, and they're batting 200 and leading the league in strikeouts, it doesn't look real good. So I, I think when you look throughout our system, um, winning is a part of development. Um, there, there are two aspects that, that we talk about. Um, one is, is winning at the minor league level and, and teaching players how to win. Um, the other is developing the individual skill set. And, and sometimes that works in concert with one another, and sometimes, frankly, that works um, in opposition uh, uh, to one another. We, we tend to push our prospects here, and, and we, we send them to advanced eight, uh, levels for their age because we want to challenge them, and we want them to experience failure at the minor league level because we know they will experience failure at some point when they get here, and we want them to know uh, how, to, um, how to handle that. Um, so we're, we, we did have um, some winning teams this year. Biloxi played very well. Wisconsin made the playoffs. Uh, Colorado Springs made a, a late season charge. Um, and so we're, we're certainly pleased 
um, at those levels that we were able to compete consistently throughout the year. Um, some prospects are going to struggle sometimes. Some prospects, frankly, um, that we really liked when we acquired them may not be the type of impact players that we originally thought. But if we continue to acquire um, enough of them, if we continue to develop them properly, we, we will get that critical mass here in Milwaukee that will allow us to compete. How, how do you think, uh, just to follow that up, so as fans, how do we absorb minor league information? All the ratings, the Brewers have the best minor league system. Uh, most accounts have the Brewers as at least the top three minor league systems. And I'm sure you're proud of that, but is that something that's on your radar? And how do we as fans absorb that information? And what do we sink our teeth into when we're talking about prospects? So certainly there's some directional significance to that, right? The, the, the Baseball Americas of the world, the baseball prospectuses of the world that rate MLB.com, that, that rate these systems are getting those ratings by talking to coaches, by talking to some front office members. They're trying to gather industry information and try to figure out how these um, teams stack up. Um, and so there's some directional significance to if you're in the top 10, if you're in the middle 10, if you're in the bottom 10. Um, and so part of that is meaningful. Um, but when, when we look at prospects and we look at um, where we rank up, we're looking at a, a tremendous amount of information. We're looking at um, our coaching reports from the minor league level. We're looking at uh, an extensive ne network of scouting reports that we have on every single minor league player. We're looking at advanced statistical metrics, some of which are not available um, to the public. Um, and so our evaluations may be somewhat different um, both on our own players and, and on other teams' players uh, than what's available publicly. And, and frankly, that's what makes my job fun. Um, that's what creates some asymmetry and evaluation from team to team. Uh, that's what leads to opportunities for trades. Um, and, and that's where we get to be creative to try to put the best team together. Very good. Thank you, David. All right, Jeff. On that level as well, a uh, minor league question here from Nick from Milwaukee. And uh, talks about Colorado Springs. It's, it's no mystery. It's a tough place to pitch. But for Craig and I think for David as well, how you evaluate pitching from Colorado Springs, right? How do you adjust for uh, pitchers when they're in Colorado Springs? Because I know a lot of them go down there if they either get called up or come up. How do you adjust to you know, both pick pitching to pitch in that park and to get the pitchers not to freak out if they're not doing well in the high atmosphere up there? You know, it's, it's actually probably tougher to do the latter than, than the former. We have coaches <laughs> who are down there um, every single day, we have scouts who filter through, we have roving minor league coordinators who filter through who can tell us how these guys are doing, whether they're putting in the work, whether they're executing their pitches, whether they're improving. And so we feel like we have a pretty good understanding of who's taking steps forwards in Colorado Springs, even if their surface statistical line doesn't necessarily display it. It's probably actually tougher on the players than it is for us because we need to let them know that we're evaluating them a little bit differently in Colorado Springs than perhaps we would at other levels. Um, so we, we do believe we can still evaluate our pitchers in Colorado Springs, and part of it is a learning process for them as well to understand that you're naturally going to have a higher ERA in Colorado Springs. You're naturally going to give up more home runs, and that's okay. We know that. Mm, very good. Sophia. Lane. <laughs> Jeff. That's, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> Uh, some good questions coming in on social media and one on Twitter actually from Adam and it's a two-part question he wants to know if you ever see a salary cap getting any kind of conversation going in baseball and then the other part of it do you see the DH coming into the NL at some point in the future Craig you want to handle the salary cap question <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no I, I, I think um, 
the answer on the salary cap is frankly no. Um, I, I don't see a salary cap coming in baseball. I think uh, it's one of the things that makes our game unique um, is that we don't have any um, constraint on how low or how high a particular team can, can put its payroll. Um, and it gives us a little bit more roster flexibility. Um, it allows us to, to structure um, contracts. It allows us to make more trades uh, in a slightly more flexible way than you can see in other sports. So does it create some constraints on a market like Milwaukee that, that doesn't maybe exist in the NFL? No question. Um, but it also allows us to, to build our roster in slightly different ways than some teams in other leagues are, are able um, to do. Um, in terms of the DH, uh, that's probably more possible than a, than a salary cap. Um, I, I really don't know whether it will ever be in the, um, in the National League. I know at various points over the last decade it's been discussed. Um, certainly it would, it would change some things about how we uh, construct a roster. I grew up rooting for National League baseball, as, as many of you did, and so I'm partial to the National League style of play. But, uh, but if, the, if the DH is, is at some point a reality within the National League, we'll, we'll certainly make the adjustment and construct the roster as well as we can. Yeah, I, I think I've, uh, I've always been in the National League. Um, I've seen one way to do it. Uh, we, we, we now, you know, we go to the American League and we play in games where there's a DH, and it's, it's, it's different. It's, there's no question from a manager's perspective, it's very different. Um, but I, I enjoy what's going on in the National League. I enjoy the strategy of the game. I enjoy, um, you know, the kind of the options that it, uh, and the decisions that it puts in front of, you know, players and managers um, throughout the game. And I, I think that's enjoyable. And I think that's the, the same reason why we're quite, you're, you're talking about the moves Joe Madden made and Terry Francona made. More of those questions and discussions mm -hmm. happened in National League sure. games. And I enjoy that. Very good. Good stuff. Jeff, or who we got? Sophia. All right, B.A., well, we're down to our final two questions, and Don here might be the bravest guy to walk into Miller Park. I'm just going to explain on his behalf. He is a native of Illinois, yeah. but he, he, so he's got the Cubs gear going, but he does reside in Kenosha, and he's a season ticket holder, so we're going to allow it. But um, Don wants to know about Ryan Braun and his future with the team. Yeah, my question basically is, Last year, we had a couple opportunities to trade Braun for some prospects from National League West teams. I was wondering why we didn't jump on that, and that's basically where I'm coming from. As you can see, I'm a very patient person. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we welcome you. Congratulations, but we're glad you're here, too. We're all connected. What do you think, David? So I, I think the, the first thing I, I'd say is a lot is um, – talked about publicly. Um, a lot is published. Some of it is, is true and some of it um, isn't 100% accurate. Um, you know, what, what I'll say is in, in any situation, whether it's Ryan or another player um, who puts up the type of season uh, that, that Ryan has put up last year and the type of career he's had here in Milwaukee, those players are going to generate interest. And, and we certainly um, take those inquiries very, uh, very seriously. We explore them. Uh, we talk about them in depth. Um, but at the end of the day, for us to make a move, it's going to require a return that we think is commensurate to the value that the particular player um, provides to our organization. And, and in the case of someone like Ryan Braun, who has given a tremendous amount to this organization, who continues to play at an elite level, um, it it's going to take a, a significant return um, for us to feel comfortable uh, moving a player of that caliber. 
um, and, and clearly he's still a brewer, and, and that means that we haven't um, received that return uh, to this point. So um, that's really the, the, the analysis that goes through any, any trade discussion. Are we getting back value um, that we think is commensurate to the, to, to the value we're giving up? And, and uh, when we do, we're able to execute trades, and, and when we're not, we tend to hold the player. Very good. Let's hustle through a couple more, Jeff. All right, uh, we've got Charlie from East Troy, and uh, a really interesting question, one that I hadn't really thought about, um, but you see commercials now on the Fox telecast in the World Series. But Charlie's got a good question for David. Um, to your knowledge, are you scouting any women ball players, and is any other team in the majors scouting them? So, so to my knowledge, um, we are not scouting uh, any women ball players right now um, who we believe would would play here in Milwaukee. Um, I'm not familiar with uh, what other uh, organizations are are doing in that regard. Um, I frankly don't think we're too far away from getting uh, to that point. I think with um, some of the publicity uh, that the Little World Ser Little League World Series has provided, um, a new TV show has provided. Um, th there's no reason. Um, that ultimately we won't get there. Um, as we, we haven't found that person um, yet who, who we think can um, compete at the major league level, um, but it doesn't mean she's not out there. And, and, uh, and if, uh, if she is and when she is, we certainly hope that, that we're the organization that finds her. Yeah, good one. Good question. Great. Uh, Lane, how about a social media question? Yeah, let's, uh, let's go to Justin's question. Um, and this is kind of similar to a question from earlier about Jonathan VR opening day, but what is the tentative plan at third base going into next year? So I think one of the great things about the way our roster sets up right now, and it's Jonathan VR, it's Scooter Jeanette, it's, uh, it's Hernan Perez, um, is that we have tremendous positional versatility. Um, and if this is the way the, the roster uh, stays right now, um, we, can, uh, we can figure that out as we go along. We can figure that out in spring training. It can change throughout the course of the season. Um, we're at the beginning of the offseason right now. That means there's a lot of time and a lot of opportunity uh, for the roster to be altered or tweaked. Um, we may have more players in that mix when we show up in Maryvale in, in mid-February. Um, and so the, the, the answer at this point is we have a number of different players who have the ability to play over there. We saw that in August and September, and those will be the same guys as it stands right now who will compete for that job going into spring training. Very good. Craig? Yeah, and, and I'll just say a little of the way that I see it is that that's something we talked about is, is the competition at positions. And, you know, having multiple players that can play that, that position, whether it be third base, whether it be second base, whether it be right field, that creates competition. And, and that's something that I really want. I really want in the clubhouse and on the field is I want competition. Uh, the players want competition. It pushes everybody forward, and it's it's part of, you know, this this next step that we're creating is if if there is competition, then people have to step up, and you're required to step up, and you're required to improve. You're required to get better. We're able to have higher standards as we move forward. So that's what's being created right now. Um, that's what the competition is doing, and that's why having multiple choices at these positions is important. Very good. Thank you guys so much. Uh, we, we appreciate this. Uh, hopefully it can be a yearly tradition. Great questions out there, folks. Very nicely done. Um, all of our media that's assembled, we're going to have these two guys just 
come down here in a moment. You're welcome to uh, ask a few questions, but it is a town hall. It's not a debate, but it's a town hall. But I would look, like to hear some closing thoughts, just, you know, whatever you want to go with David and Craig. And um, we talked a little bit about coming here in November, maybe the idea of a World Series here uh, in late October or November. But uh, just finish us off here and your thoughts about moving ahead for uh, 2017. Well, when, when you think of that and when you say that of coming to Miller Park for a World Series game in, in late October um, or November, I, I naturally can't help but smile. I mean, mm -hmm. we, we, we think about the enthusiasm of this town, the passion of our fan base, the, the fact that um, on a random Thursday night in November, um, we have all of these folks out here to talk Brewers baseball. Um, I, I can't imagine what it's going to be like um, when we get to the World Series. And, and um, it, it gives you goosebumps just thinking about it. And, and that's what we're all working for. That, that's why um, we're doing this. That's, that's why uh, we put in the hours and, and, uh, and try to find the best players we possibly can. And you see the, the emotion and the intensity uh, that we saw in Game 7 last night. And that's certainly what we're looking forward to here at Miller Park. And Counts, your uh, television commercials are great, by the way. And, you know, one thing, yeah, go ahead. Um, the one thing that strikes me about that is that I think you know Milwaukee baseball fans as well as anybody who's probably ever played this game, certainly that's in this organization because you lived it, breathed it, and now you're the manager of your hometown team. So thank you for doing all those, and we enjoy seeing that. But uh, go ahead, and you can wrap us up here. Well, I, I think, you know, last night, last night's game, certainly, um, it, it should get you excited about it. It should get you excited about baseball. Uh, I, I don't care. You know, I know it's the Cubs and the Indians, and it's, it's not the Brewers. But if that game doesn't get you excited about baseball, um, you don't like baseball. Because that was great, great stuff. And, you know, certainly part of the other part about watching that game is, is thinking about that game right here. Mm -hmm. That's that's. Part of the thoughts that I have when I watch that game is what's going to happen when that game's in Milwaukee. Um, I know every one of you will be here for that game. If you're here tonight, you will be here for that game, that's for <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. So we, we, will, uh, you know, we will keep working to that. And, and like I said, I think we've built, we're, we're building the foundation, and it's a good one, and it's the right one, and, and we're getting there. And, and I'm excited about what's happening, and I'm excited about the future. Manager Craig Council, General Manager David Stearns, thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you, folks, for coming out. Safe travels home. Enjoy the offseason, and uh, we'll see you back real soon. Spring training's right around the corner, right? It'll be here before you know it. All right. Go Brewers. So long. All right. That is going to do it for this special edition of Brewers on Tap. I am Lane Quindle. We'll be back with you with another Arizona Fall League edition of Brewers on Tap sometime early next week. So look for that to come out as we talk with Fred Phillips, Jacob Nottingham, and Isan Diaz from the desert. Have a great one, everyone.